to the 2022 Joe Blow Horror Show Oktoberfest. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. You're all going to die down here. Shot him six times! Always check your candy. Matter, kid, don't you like clowns? Hey. Don't we make you laugh? Aren't we fucking funny? Every serial killer lives next to somebody, buds. Welcome back, friends, to the Joe Blow Horror Show, where we review, rate, discuss, and break down horror movies, not horror films. There are rare occasions where we talk about films, and tonight is one of those. Not only do we have one, but we're going to be talking about two films. I typically am joined by our honey-haired herbal enchanter, hermit from the the south but he is actually out working he'll be joining us later but i got a couple special special guests for you but before we do that we are welcome to the first episode of the joe blow horror show Oktoberfest. it's that time of season the the leaves here in in good old central iowa are starting to fall driving into work it's cold in the morning the season's changing you know what that means it's 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 you know pumpkin spice lattes bitch it's that time of year so with the leaves falling, that can only mean one thing, and that is, as a horror fan, it's our favorite month. So October is upon us. Welcoming this first episode, I had to start off with the banger. So I got a couple special people here that I want to introduce to you. So first off, it wouldn't be it wouldn't happen without this first first guest here. So you know the joke is 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 a lot of us enjoy our video games and we're we're playing video games and. The wives and the kids are running around and we got those headsets on and, and, and we're talking about, you know, Hey, you know, where, where are we dropping bio we're, roof of bio? Let's go. I met this guy here probably a year, year and a half ago playing of all things, call of duty. And he had just a killer name. I thought was just horror metal. And it took a long time for us to start talking about that. But I have with me blood witchery. AKA Kevin Leslie. What's up, buddy? Thanks for joining the Joe Blow Horror Show. How are you? What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Um, I'm good. Just uh, stoked to be on here. Finally um, getting a chance to chat outside of the uh, video game world. You know, <laughs> Love, yeah. maybe a few less uh, less curse words, but you never, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> That's right. That's And if I'm being honest here, I'm, I'm just kind of like the chump that doesn't really do much and and i just get carried by by him and his buddies so um pretty good player in in himself but everybody's probably sitting there like i cool yeah you got this guy on how how does this pertain to you know the joe blow horror show this isn't a video gaming podcast you unless we're talking about like evil dad or one of those games but one of our conversations somehow turned into the horror realm 
And I found out that you are, you're one of us. He's metal, he's horror. And we had some pretty good conversations and I'm jealous. This, this, I mean, you're, you're from kind of like the Mecca. Um, you know, I always like to ask, how'd you get into horror, but you're, you're pretty much, you're from the Salem area, right? Yeah. So it's, it's almost like asking someone from Hawaii, how'd you get into surfing? So, um, (laughs) we had a good conversation about that and, and, and fans of the show, remember our, our most popular episodes are end of the year episodes. And, you know, we do a collaboration with another podcast and we count down our favorites of the year back in 2018. Uh, yes. Uh, there was a movie that I championed and it was on, I want to say three of our five lists and I had it. It was the highest. It was like number four, I think for me, and it was summer of 84. So Mr. Blood Witchery, AKA uh, Kevin was like, Hey, have you ever seen summer of 84? And I'm like, yeah, that's odd. I was like, I love that movie. It's awesome. He's like, my brother directed it. And I'm like, hold the phones, like get the fuck out of here. I was like, wait a second. I'm like, like this the real like the serial killer movie yeah so it's like dude okay because we were talking about getting you on the podcast before and mm-hmm. i was like can you you know i'm fanboying out a little bit can you get your brother on maybe here yeah. we are we are joined by writer director producer of summer of 84 matt leslie welcome to the show hey, Thank you. It's good to be here. I do have to clarify. I didn't direct Summer of '84. I wrote and produced it. The okay. uh, the directors the directors of Summer of '84 are called RKSS. They're a the Roadkill Superstars, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. They also directed uh, Turbo Kid. Yeah, I was gonna say Turbo Kid has been talked about as well too. So okay, yeah. I, I okay. I wasn't sure about the the director part. Sorry. I'm just trying to you know. No worries. I'm just I'm just gonna I'm gonna put you on that pedestal. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, this this guy did everything. He did the the mutant. No, I'm kidding. But uh, I started no, thanks, it too. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for uh thanks for joining us. So um good to be here. Pumped, pumped. I first gotta ask you guys. You guys are both obviously horror fans. Kevin, I, what what got you into horror, man? How how did you uh you know let's explain this road that led you to the Joe Blow horror show a little bit? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say my earliest horror memories are probably I remember seeing um I don't know if it were commercials or or if it was a Fangoria with um, a photo of uh, Linda Blair from The Exorcist. I remember that was like one of the first things that stuck with me. And then probably from there, you know, kind of piqued my interest because you're like, oh, what is this? This is some freaky shit. And then, uh, you know, down the line, I think the first horror movie uh, technically would probably be Jaws that I saw. Loved Jaws. That's a textbook New England um you know summer horror and from there um the next the next vivid memory would be salem's lot um i still i still remember i had nightmares for years of the the kid coming to the window and scratching at the window telling telling uh, him to let him in yeah, and, a good uh, moment. ever ever since then um just been yeah interested in it and obviously we're we're entrenched by it in uh in salem so you know it's kind of um I don't know what the fuck you're doing living here if you if you're not into horror really but <laughs> I know like people trek across the country to go visit that you just get yeah. like just mounds of of fans coming through this time of year so oh yeah what about you Matt I think you know like I'm I'm actually a lot older than Kevin I'm like 10 years older than Kevin before Kevin was even born uh we we well actually the first house the one that I grew up in the hallway 
um, I, I was at one end of the hallway in my bedroom and it led to the living room. And if you're watching TV in the living room, your back was to the hallway. And so I would sneak out of my bedroom down the hallway at night and watch movies that my parents were watching that I shouldn't have been watching over their shoulder. They, they didn't know I was there. And the first one was American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. The opening of that movie where they're on the moors and it's foggy and they're hearing things. That movie, I mean, that and then that movie in general just scared the absolute hell out of me and stayed with me for a long time. I remember having nightmares about werewolves. And then that continued, you know, me watching movies like that. And I remember watching Silence of the Lambs that way, too. It was just the scene where there were Clarice Starlings in the basement and it's pitch black and uh, and she's being, you know, hunted. I mean, just moments like that, that that stayed with me, that horror is definitely, to me, the most visceral form of storytelling that it just it's just like it just knocks you for a loop unlike you know i mean i i get emotional when i'm watching drama and i love watching sci-fi but horror for some reason is just the one that's just the most visceral and it was those kind of those earliest experiences that stayed with me that's that's what i like about horror is because it is it's almost like it's the most encompassing genre out there because you mm. you can have a, a comedy but if you have something like Tucker and Dale versus evil. It's a horror comedy. You can have a a drama, like a family drama, but you throw those elements in at the end and you've got hereditary and it's going to be known as a horror. So it's almost like you've got all these little parts and pieces that make up movies, but then you've got like this big giant, like Pac-Man coming and like, Nope. If it's got any element of, you know, blood guts, scares, whatever, it's a horror, this a horror. So yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely my favorite genre, and and it's it's obviously what kind of brought us here, and and it what makes it so fun to talk about. So, give me a little bit about your your background, um, as far as like like your your is is it like in the family? Do you guys like grew up doing plays and theater type of stuff, or or what what got you to where you're at? No, I mean, you know, I was born in Salem, Massachusetts, and Kevin wasn't, so that's a plus for me. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin was born in Beverly, so uh, right next door. But I, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. No, but I, I was born in Salem, and I think there's just something about, you know, growing up and, you know, there's a neighborhood in Salem called Witchcraft Heights, and you know, it's just, it's just everywhere there. But I think like it was never making movies was never something that I really, honestly, thought I could do. Um, I. I think I'm fortunate in that I had a wife who had big dreams and I kind of followed her to Los Angeles. And when I got here, I had a buddy who was just like, you love movies. Why don't you write movies? And I was like, you can do that. I mean, it was just like one of those things where I never thought about how the sausage gets made. I just Mm -hmm. liked the sausage because living in Massachusetts back when I grew up, there was no one, no one made films there. Like nowadays there's tax incentives in Boston. A lot of people shoot films there. There's like a lot of, you know, casting that happens out of there. People can, you know, there are people with careers in Boston making movies. That wasn't a thing when I was growing up. I mean, like, so for me, it was just this other world until I moved out here. And then I just started to really pursue it. And then I, my, the, like the quick version is I got a job working for a producer named Matt Alvarez. Matt was the guy who made all Ice Cube's movies, like Ride Along and Are We There Yet? And I got to work on Ride Along 1 and Ride Along 2 and Strata Compton as his development executive. And I was really heavily involved in Strata Compton, uh, working with, you know, the directors and, and the producers and um, the director and the producers and, uh, and essentially just kind of made my way as a development executive, meeting people while all, all along just kind of screenwriting and just trying to figure out how to put the pieces together. So meeting as many people as I can while writing. 
And that's kind of how I put the pieces together for summer of 84. I was exec, I was an executive for a guy named Scott Bernstein. And uh, I had a general meeting with the Turbo Kid directors, RKSS. And I pitched them the concept for summer of 84 and they loved it. And, and then we, my writing partner, Steve and I, we, we, uh, we wrote it and, uh, and then sent it to them and they loved it. And then from there, we kind of like went around looking for the money to make it. And then that's kind of how that kind of came to fruition. Sure. So it was just like a lot of, you know, a lot of things converging. And it was really just like, how do you, cause you know, the thing about a career in Hollywood is that there's no one way to make it happen. Everybody's path is different and the path one person took wouldn't work for the next person and, and, right. and so on. So I was just trying to figure out how to, and I'm still on that journey. I mean, I'm still trying to make movies and it's everyone's like a challenge, but, um, but that's kind of my background. And then um, I don't know, Kev, Kev has always been, Kevin, I think might be even a bigger horror movie fan than, than even I am. I mean, he's seen movies. First of all, Kevin always blew, blew me away because before he was, he's not even in the business really. And he knows who directed movies, who wrote movies, who start like back before I was in the business, I didn't even think about that stuff. And he'd be like, oh yeah, that was a, that was a George Romero movie. And I wouldn't have even known that was, you know, like back when I was back then. So he's yeah. just got this encyclopedic knowledge for quotes and directors. And he's just a huge uh, movie buff. Yeah. I remember we had a, a really good conversation that first night and I was like, yeah damn i was like i'm you know not talking to one of my like horror nerds or whatever i was i was kind of impressed so mm. as far as is yeah i gotta ask you matt you had a lot to do with summer of 84 and i um i, I didn't see kevin in a leading role what's up with that <laughs> i know it's funny it's funny there's definitely a, a parallel universe where kevin is an actor he's yeah, got those yeah. he's got those good looks and uh and that uh and and that kind of quiet charisma but I, I you know it's funny I think like what, what I love about summer of 84 is it was it was definitely a a passion project for me it's sort of like my favorite movies growing up were like the burbs and the goonies and like the lost boys and fright night just like those kind of movies where it, it feels like it sort of takes place in a neighborhood that I could relate to because like you know Kevin and I grew up in yeah. in the suburbs of Massachusetts in a town called Ipswich Massachusetts and you know, if you saw Summer of 84, it takes place in Ipswich, Oregon, because we were originally going to have it shoot in Massachusetts and we couldn't and we got the tax. We ended up shooting it in Vancouver and played it as Oregon because mm -hmm. Vancouver and Oregon obviously are right next to each other. And it looks very similar. But uh, but so much of that movie is takes place in Ipswich. It, there's a place called Ipswich Lanes, which is a bowling alley we had in my town growing up. Oh, yeah. Like there's all kinds of like there's just all kinds of Easter eggs, uh, you know, Woody, the kid. The, <laughs> this is the whole this is hilarious. So Woody, the kid who ends up getting killed, spoiler, spoiler alert, in summer mm -hmm. of 84 is named after a kid I grew up with named Aaron Woodworth, who is a cop in my hometown of Ipswich, who's like the sweetest. I named him Woody because this the real life Woody is like the sweetest person ever. And if he got killed, mm -hmm. it would devastate the town. And we, sure. we were like, so anyways, there's so much of, of like my childhood in that movie and it was really just a passion project uh that i i really hoped would get made i remember hearing jordan peele talk about get out and he said you know if you if you if you just write something that you fucking love like it's like if there's like you, if there's a movie you could ever get made write that movie and that's kind of what summer of 84 was to me i was like i have to get this movie made it would be the kind of movie that i would have loved as i was if yeah. i was a kid or if i was what you know and uh so we're really fortunate we ended up getting it getting it made and I think it, I think it came out pretty good. I mean, it, there's 
there's a few things that are in the script that didn't make it into the final cut of the movie that still kind of bummed me out, but that's just the nature of filmmaking. You know, it's like you, you shoot things. They, they it's actually, one they of the questions I was going to ask you later on. Yeah. Yeah. We can get into that. I'll, I'm happy to talk yep. about that, but Kevin, I gotta, but, I gotta uh, ask you. So being, yeah, not, not to, to steal all the spotlight, but when you, <laughs> I mean, you got a brother out in, mm-hmm. in Los Angeles and, and I mean, what, did you kind of know what was going on through the whole thing or were you kind of like wanting to be surprised? Like, give me your first thoughts going through this thing. And when you went to see the movie and, and there's gotta be yeah. some nostalgia on your side when you're watching this and picking up a lot of stuff. Oh, totally. Um, I remember, you know, like throughout the writing process, we would talk, um, you know, he'll, he'll still like, as he's writing stuff, you know, send scripts and stuff and, and, you know, um, we'll check those out and kind of, um, you know, like the, there's a new one that he's working on now that he'll send like, you know, certain, I don't know if we can put this in here or not, but uh, he'll send me cuts of them and I'll check them out and, um, you know, just little things like that. But uh, for Summer 84 specifically, that was a cool one because um, it was at uh, Salem, was it Salem Horror Fest technically, or were we outside of Salem Horror Fest when it premiered, Matt? Uh, I think it was outside of it. Oh, it was yeah. yeah. It was it, it wasn't in Salem Horror Fest, yeah. but it was. Um, but but uh, Kay, who who runs Salem Horror Fest, was very supportive, and I think. And then I think Kev, you helped me get it into Cinema Salem, didn't you? Where I think, it played, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh. So um, yeah, it premiered at one of the anyway. My confusion. It premiered at one of the prominent the the prominent theater that is uh, you know in Salem Horror Fest. Um, so it was, it was really just, it was a trip to, cause I, I hadn't seen, I don't think I saw any of it before it came out uh, other than the script. So, um, it was, it was just a trip because it's, you know, it's one of those things where we've always bonded over movies, um, horror or not. And, and I think specifically the like kind of eighties, um, my, my appreciation for eighties, you know, media in general, comes from Matt for sure. So, cause you know, that's what he grew up with. And, um, you know, so like the, the Goonies lost boys, those movies that he mentioned, those are all like some of my all time favorites. So, um, to, you know, be sitting in a, in a movie theater watching a, a movie that's, you know, of that theme that is like my all time favorite, um, made by my brother was definitely a trip and, it, and having it based on, um, you know, where we grew up with all the little Easter eggs, like, you know, Matt was saying, um, while granted, we were probably some of the only people in the audience that picked up on a lot of them. Mm-hmm. It was still like, uh, really crazy and, uh, and rad to see like, you know, yeah, Ipswich lanes and all that sort of shit where we would go, go like after baseball games and fucking bowl and play arcade games and all that sort of stuff. So, it was really, uh, really awesome to, to see it come to fruition. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've watched it shit, probably at least a good eight times, maybe 10 at this point. And is it, it's really like, uh, even, uh, bias aside, like that's a movie. I know if, if you didn't have anything to do with it or nobody I knew had anything to do with it and it was based, you know, in, in Iowa or somewhere like that. Yeah. Um, I would I would love it just as much because it's it's that you know that sort of uh, sweet spot for for you know 80s nostalgia and my you know obvious obviously favorite era of horror so it's uh yeah definitely 
really, really fucking cool to see. So um, I, I, if you could Matt touch real briefly here on, so the movie's getting picked up, it's getting, it's getting made. Hey, yeah, next thing is distribution. I know it got picked up by shutter and that was huge, but can you talk a little bit about the distribution uh, part or like kind of, you know, after you yeah. realize like, Hey, this is going to happen. Yeah. So our, you know, indie film is a, is a, is kind of a, uh, an interesting thing because, you know, a lot of times you raise the funds to make a movie and you finish the movie and uh, you don't know how it's going to get out there. I, I have a, I have a situation right that like that right now with this movie that I co-wrote and co-directed my, with my partner, Steve Smith um, called the knocking. We made the movie and now we have to figure out what the distribution is, but with summer of 84, we basically had like a mini studio involved called Gunpowder and Sky. And Gunpowder and Sky, they had their own, you know, internal development, marketing, distribution, whatever. So they had the ability to put the film out on however many screens they wanted to or to sell it. So when Summer of 84 got into the Sundance Film Festival, they saw it as an opportunity to potentially partner with a bigger distributor or sell it to a bigger distributor or whatever. And, um, so when we premiered at Sundance, it was like a really cool, buzzy moment. And then um, and then from there, they kind of decided to put the movie out on. I think we played in like 100 theaters over the course of like a month. And so we got a, a small theatrical run from midnight. It was like a midnight screening series. So they played like late late nights and then it ended up getting picked up by Shutter after that. So um, but it was really cool to be with Gunpowder and Sky because we always knew that we had the potential for distribution through them because they're basically sure. a small studio. I mean, they've changed since then. I don't think they're the same anymore. Like, uh, you know, the pandemic obviously hurt a lot of people's business and, you know, theatrical distribution took a huge hit as we all know. And so Gunpowder and Sky, I think had to pivot and change their business model. So I don't know if they're actually still a distributor, but, but we were really lucky to have them as a partner on that movie. I know real as as much as i want to talk about this i guess i got a couple main questions here so more observations but i got to give it to you the when i watch a movie there are certain things that i kind of look for that i think can kind of add and detract and part of it is is it's like you know i, I like to watch movies to enjoy them but on the back end it's like you know hey am i going to be talking about this on the show so you got that critical eye but you guys absolutely nailed the eighties nostalgia. I grew up in the eighties and everything from it's it, the small town neighborhood, you know, kids on the bikes, the, the, the wood paneling on the house. Um, I was like, yeah, that, that really, whenever you do a period piece movie, it's, if it's not done right, it really sticks out. And I thought you guys nailed that. And that like um, goblin type soundtrack was like, that really tied it in as well too. Thanks, man. Yeah, we had amazing people working on this film. Our production designer was a guy named Justin Ludwig, and he had this great team that just nailed it. He's going on, he's gone on to do huge, like he's working on huge series right now. He's a Vancouver-based production designer, so he works on all kinds of huge series now. But at the time, he was, you know, still kind of on the up and coming side. And we got lucky with him and his team. They just killed it. And and also we had a partner a production services company up there called Bright Light Pictures. And they made a lot of TV shows. And at the time they were working on a show called Timeless. And I think they had a couple other shows. So they had like all kinds of set deck, you know, just like picture cars, just stuff that they were like, this stuff is here, you guys can use it. And we were able to kind of like resource a lot of stuff for like, for like almost no money, if not no money. 
for our movie that was period because you know making a period piece movie is really expensive for a lot of reasons not yeah. the least of which is like you got to find all the shit the clothes the, the you know the stuff the, the lamps the tvs the cars all that stuff so justin just nailed it for us and then for our score um our cinematographer on the movie was this guy jp bernier jp is one half of a band called Le matos and they did our score so we, it was really cool because our dp who was there every day and really knew the vibe of the film was also the guy who won half of the team that scored it. And so, you know, we had talked for a long time about what scores we thought were good comps and, you know, it, there's like so many good ones. Um, and Goblin was definitely like, I mean, Le Matos, they just killed it. And, and they, they basically went away. I think they had like less than a month to, to do that score. And they came out with that. And, you know, obviously people still talk about the score as being one of their favorite aspects of the film. They crushed so it. Got, yeah, much. yeah, they crushed it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's one of those where it it either it, it's almost like there's no middle ground. It either you know exponentially adds to it, or it kind of is det detracts from it as well too. So yeah, last eighties can have, be done in a really bad way too if you're not careful. <laughs> like it can just yeah. sound terrible. You know. Yep. The last thing I have, and what really, and I remember I was trying to remember back to our end of the year show when I was talking about this, the biggest hook that I had, I'm a type of person where I don't watch previews or trailers. I don't read synopsises or summaries. I like to go in blind If the end. My big hook was the end of the movie. And I was going to ask you, Kevin, um, I don't want to, I guess I will say a spoiler alert here and I'll say anyone that hasn't seen this movie, it's been talked about on Joe Bull many times. Go listen to Ergolis. Go watch it, and then you can come back and listen because they're, you know, a, a, feather, a fellow horror fan, Kevin. I know you've seen them all. Mm. The ending of this movie is what drew me in. Are you? Yeah. I have to imagine that you're not like the Hollywood type ending. Like these are the kind of endings that you're like, yes, you know, yeah. where it's not the super happy kind of hey, he walks away in handcuffs kind of thing. Definitely not. <laughs> Um, that's, that's one thing that I've, I've said to Matt numerous times about this and, and a lot of people is I feel like, um, that's one of the places where, where larger Hollywood movies don't go ever. Mm -hmm. Um, and spoiler alert again, uh, I'm going to say it, but, um, they don't, kids never get killed. Never. They're, they never kill kids. They rarely kill dogs or anything like that, which I, <laughs> that I get, but, mm -hmm. uh, this was one of the few movies where you, like they kill one of the fucking kids. Like, could you imagine not to draw the, the parallels, but like, uh, you know, if like season one of fucking stranger things, they just were like, we're going to kill off like, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever. One of the, one of the, like, we're going to kill off one of those kids or if, like, yeah. if uh, you know, any, any of those sort of movies, like the, nothing bad ever really, happens to any of the main ch kid characters that they can't come back from. Maybe they'll get hurt or whatever. You see them at the end of the movie on crutches, or you think someone died, they're in a hospital bed at, at the end and, and they're in the killer's dead or, or the monster's gone and whatever. Um, it never happens that like they never, ever go there. So it was to me rad because like like i said you just don't see it as much as i feel like it would be appropriate to given the nature of a lot of these movies so uh yeah you know yeah for us for, for us it was the it was really the, 
What's that? And I'm glad he's dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Woody. For us, Woody. Honestly, that was the only reason to really make the movie, to be honest with you, because what we did is we looked at like sort of the the pantheon of neighborhood conspiracy movies where like, you know, what's the one thing we hadn't seen? It's that like, it's not a happy ending. You know, you look at a movie like Disturbia, you know, everything's good. They, they catch the guy, everybody's, you know, Shia LaBeouf's fine. And like, you know, the Fright Night, same kind of deal. Like the kid catches the, everything's fine. And we were just like, look, if, if, if you were, if you thought your neighbor was a serial killer and you were right, it wouldn't go well for you. It just wouldn't. Like, you're not going to come out on the upside on this one. We we just didn't think so. But we also knew that, like, you know, killing off our main character is not super palatable. So we were like, how do you, What is there a worse version of reality than getting killed? And we thought, well, basically telling the kid, like, you fucked my life up. And so now I'm going to go away and you're going to have to look over your shoulder for the rest of your life because at some point I am going to kill you. You know, like that's a pretty awful fate, you know, like yeah. you just never be comfortable again. So we really wanted to just like take take this film because I think a lot of people have been like, well, I've seen this movie before. And it's like, well, that was sort of intentional. We wanted it to feel like a movie that's lulling you into a false sense of like, oh, they're going to catch the guy. It'll be fine. And then it's like, no, it's not. You know, that was really what we wanted to add to this this subgenre. Yeah. When I was scrolling across and and this was on my my shutter feed and i had nothing this i was like 84 i was born in 1984 and so, so naturally i'm like sweet let's let's do this why going in and and just again props to you i mean i'm 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 out here in central iowa just giving you a double wrister on this because i thought for sure that this was going to go a different direction and the character development was awesome and when you know you you kill off a character like if if i hadn't known who was going to die i'd be like who's one of the last people you want to die? It would be, well, obviously your main character. And then, you know, you built up this Woody character is like you, we were talking pre-show a little bit. He's, you know, or, or no, it was earlier. Uh, it was during the recording, but he's, you use the term sweetheart. I'm like, he's just, he's, he's a good dude. He's taking care of his mom. And I mean, like, he's like the last one you'd want to see. And that was just like a heartbreaker. And not only was it like, Hey, here's an off camera. It's like, nope this is this is how woody goes and you're just like oh my god so it it was you know like chef kiss to that also we one of my favorite nice, things thanks. to talk about is all of these movies that end and i call it like your your you use the term palatable but it's like you know hey this went through test screenings we're going to change this this and this and you know you get at the end of the action movie and everybody's sitting on a beach sipping his pina colada and half the city's in in ruins or you know you have 15 dead bodies laying in your house you have to account for that was killed by some kind of demon you like took that concept and like no we're actually going to show how it is and like the most powerful part of the movie for me is when um you know our our antagonist i guess i don't even want to use names because i'm still on that spoiler like go watch this if you haven't seen this movie but when he's talking um to him at the end and you touch on it he's like i am going to come for you it's not going to be you know it will have like just that alone is is horrific enough to ruin your life i mean here's a 15 year old kid that i mean and that that begs the question like i know you've been asked this a hundred times summer of 85 or i mean question mark I oh mean, my you god had to have thought about it right well yeah you know the thing is like you know my 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 writing partner steve and i we definitely like the idea of there being a sequel but 
you know, the nature of Hollywood is that you have to have a big financial win to justify a sequel, or you have to achieve a sort of a cult status over years and years that, that, that builds into enough of a following that there's like, oh, if we make a sequel, we'll make our money. So, you know, because we didn't have a big theatrical release, we didn't have a big financial win. I think ultimately the movie's been profitable, but not like, it's not like the kind of a thing where like, it's like, oh yeah, we killed it. It's not like a quiet place. We're like, yeah, of course we're going to make a sequel. We made so much money. So I, I at, from where I stand right now, I highly doubt we'll ever have a sequel, but I would say never say never. We also intended it to be standalone. We kind of wanted you to be like haunted yeah. by the ending and just be like, what happened? But it is sort of ripe for a sequel. We've talked about doing it as a graphic novel sequel or even like a podcast sequel or something just to do because there's definitely plenty of story there that we, we we would love to explore but for now i would say nothing's anytime soon and in, unless it sort of becomes a cult classic and in like 10 years people are like we have to have a sequel then maybe yeah. but for now i think it's probably just kind of it is what it is and it's you a double-edged sword for sure because it's like just it ended on such a high note and, and you want to carry that in. But then like, as a fan, you're like, God, I'd love to see where this, where the yeah. story goes. So, but you never know. Yeah. I mean, We've got ideas. We've got ideas. Zombieland so. two came out 10 years after the original. You never know. So true. But, true. Yeah. Awesome. We'll All see. right. Well, we've been talking for a long time here and I'm not sure about you guys, but my throat's getting a little bit dry here. So our fans of the show know that we're having this conversation in our Winnebago and we're headed to our, our drive-in for a main, main feature, but off in the distance, I see some lights. So there's a bar up ahead and I think it's called a titty twister. So we're going to pull in uh, for some drinks and boss tuna's buying. So let's go in and check out the titty twister. all right so i've got a couple i believe designated drivers with me so i am going to be buying unlimited pumpkin spice lattes or apple ciders whatever you guys want but i've got something i bought and i saved this for for a little while and i was like i got to put this on a special show so obviously this one being the first in the Oktoberfest fall series i was like i better i better come with the good one so what i have with me is obviously drecker is a friend of the show we've had a couple of them on here this one was sent to me this is a chonk it's a pumpkin spice latte it's a sunday sour so i've been saving okay. this one here for a special occasion so their sours are second to none the pumpkin spice latte and a beer and a sour i'm a little bit um well it's thicker than a snicker. It's got that pumpkin flavor. It's it's gonna drive us right into the the Oktoberfest um, season. So I would say again, reminder: if you want to follow us on Untapped under Boss Tuna, Boss Tuna Brewing. I guess I can share with uh, our guests. Boss Tuna actually has his own brewery. So I got a couple beers. Oh shit! But, uh, Damn. Um, this this next um, this next go around we're doing our pumpkin stout i might have to send you guys a little care package i typically try to send something to the guests so whoa yeah. that sounds but good to me i would say that one is is probably a four and a half out of five if you like those thick sours it's pretty it's pretty legit but everybody knows what happens i know you guys uh probably are familiar with the titty twister and and once the sun goes oh, down yeah. it's not a place you want to be in 
some dudes playing like yeah. a also i was just stage. out back yeah. <laughs> yeah. don't go out back yeah, don't, <laughs> don't go out back and, and i fell and off the cliff yeah stay away from uh tom savini i don't know he's yeah he's not looking too good but Any we're gonna hop into yeah. our main feature here so uh stay tuned we are gonna come back with our review and discussion on we are still here satisfy the darkness. Every 30 years or so, the goddamn place just wakes up and it demands new blood. We Are Still Here is a 2015 film. It's not rated, coming in at 84 minutes. You guys chose this movie. I kind of know why, but tell our listeners why we are talking about We Are Still Here. You know, when we were when we were first discussing this, when we were uh, when we were playing some Warzone, having our first conversation, we we uh, really were trying to figure out like, oh, what would be, you know, you're like, what would you want to talk about? And I was thinking about, you know, movies that are relevant to me or movies that are relevant to us and our area and things like that. And I landed on, you know, a list of five New England based horror films. And I think this one specifically for one is relevant because it takes place in Essex County, which is where we both grew up. Ipswich, Massachusetts is in Essex County. So um, it kind of ticks a, a, as close to home as could be Mark there. And um, I just think it's a, I've always thought it's a super underrated film. Um, it's super scary. It gets right down to business. There's not really an ounce of fat on it at all. It's just kind of like, little bit of setup and then just kind of balls to the wall for the rest of the film. So um, good gore, good, good costume design, good sets, everything like A to Z. It's uh, I'm a huge fan of it. Nice. Yeah. That was one of the movies on the short list when we were first chatting about that night. And it's funny because when we were first talking about, it, I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. I saw that one. I know Matt emailed and I was like, yep, it's Larry Fessenden and Barbara Crampton. Little mm-hmm. did I know that I got this mixed up with uh, Daniel isn't real. Um, oh. Really not. Well, I guess kind of related, but not really. The reason is, is, is when I was on, I, I always go on IMDb. It's probably my most used app on my phone. Oh yeah. The poster art for both of these movies are very similar. It's the, mm-hmm. 
red and the pink and the blue. So yeah, this one's been on my blurry, list. Yeah. And um, so it was actually a pleasant surprise. I, I saw that because I know I texted Matt and I was like, you know, the ageless Barbara Crampton. And I, <clears throat> I love Larry Fessenden and mm-hmm. I knew I was going to like it. I went in and I was like, after 10 minutes, I'm like, I've never seen this before. What the hell? So <laughs> one thing uh, we always like to play uh, and Tibu is not here. It's it's, I always do this just to kind of rib him, but we always play the, what did it get on IMDB and the rotten tomatoes? So IMDB is a out of 10 score and rotten tomatoes is a percentage. So what do you guys think this got on IMDB as far as it's rating? Oh man, I don't know. IMDb is always really low for like yes. ever harder critic. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I would guess, I would guess maybe like a six. Okay. Say like you think, uh, 6.8 maybe. Okay. By the I, way, I just want to be clear. I don't think it's a six. I think it's much right. higher than that. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah. I'm going to put you guys on the spot. We're rating this at the end, but it got a 5.7, <laughs> which oh, shit. I say okay. you always got to add a couple points minimum to IMDb. So that that's, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, we always do the critic score. And I like yeah. to do yeah. the the difference because IMDB is user and then you have the Rotten Tomato, which is the you know the highbrow. So what do mm-hmm. you guys think this got on the critic score for Rotten Tomatoes? What do you think, Kip? Uh critics, Rotten Tomatoes, this seems like it would fall in the same realm as like a the kind of A24. It's it's either going to be in the A24 realm where the critic score is much higher than the audience score, or they're both kind of in the lower, like closer to 50% range. I'm going to say critic score in the 80% range, maybe. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on that, Kev. So t- I think this is Ted Gage and the directors. I think it was his first movie, maybe his second. I feel like it was, I feel like it was pretty well received. Mm-hmm. I, I would guess like 79, if I'm going to be weird about specificity. About- <laughs> 95%. No shit. Damn. So yeah, I mean, yeah. and honestly, deserves yeah. it. It's like hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. This movie is like kind of stunning because you know, I mean, look, if I think if we all knew how much this movie was made for, we would all be like, holy shit! Like, I'll bet it was like nothing. Like, I would guess under five hundred k. You know, just like bootstrapped it every favor. I think this Ted Ted Gagan dude probably just pulled every favor he had. People, you know. um, I mean, he sh- it was mostly shot handheld, so you know you can be pretty quick. Clearly, they got a house that they shot most of it in. I mean, it's really run and gun, but they nailed it. I mean, he just like he did a lot with a little, and he's really it's really masterfully done with terms in terms of like setting the tone. Just a lot of really long shots of like a snow drifted field or like a house. I mean, it's just really really well done. It's it's like a tonal masterclass. I think he just he just nailed it. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree. I I was i i definitely agree it's low budget um the one thing that caught me because i i typically i mean i'll look at writers directors producers all that this one i was like who's the cinematography of this because i that kind of drew me in and it's kareem uh kareem or kareem hussein and he's Mm -hmm. actually pretty successful so he did possessor which a lot of our listeners will know that movie is awesome Yep. I and Hobo with a shotgun. So oh, I was shit. like, this guy's, wow. yeah, this guy's got some chops. So it's, I, I, I'm, I'm going to guess it was, well, in my opinion, I think it's a little bit more than that, but um, yeah, it was done so well. And they, they got some really good acting. Some, when I was looking at IMDb, um, I was like, oh man, I was like, they got um, 
the guy from Home Alone. I can't think of his name, but if you yeah, look Daniel at Stern, Daniel Stern, look I was like, like him. He looks Daniel just like Stern's him. in this suite. And I'm like, yeah. wait a second. I Andrew see. Sensenig. Yeah. He's, yeah. He yeah. That's just like him. him in this movie. It's like, yep. it's, it's Daniel Stern in City Slickers in <laughs> We Are Still Here. But yeah, this was uh, written and directed by uh, uh, Tad G- Gaogan or Gagan, 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 yeah. right? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he actually wrote Satanic Panic, which I would highly recommend you check that out. But one movie that I have not seen, it caught my eye, and he did it before this, is called Don't Wake the Dead. And I was hook, line, and sinker. That's going on on my list. It's, you know what? I almost feel like I need to read the synopsis for you guys. I haven't seen that one. I haven't either. Don't Wake the Dead. So he wrote this one. He didn't direct it. Yes. Yep. So he wrote Don't Wake the Dead. And I'm a huge self-proclaimed zombie expert. It's my favorite genre by far. And I was like, God, this looks like zombie. But I, I, I read the summary, which I normally don't. A group of women hired to assist with an impromptu concert spend the evening at an ancient German castle. Unbeknownst to them, they've chosen the worst night on earth to visit as every 66 years the long dead bodies of Templar knights buried there have the chance to wake and feast upon the living. Uh, yeah, sign no. me up. Yeah, <laughs> all in. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So, uh, we are still here. This is essentially a ghost story, and I've, I mean, how'd you guys hear about this? I know it was pretty much in your your own neck of the woods. I believe it was shot in. Uh, is it Shortsville or something? In New York, upstate yeah, New York. Yep, yep. Yep. Okay. So yeah, what what I know this is up in your neck of the woods. How do you guys hear about this one? I'd I'd imagine there is some buzz going around your local area when it was coming out or being shot or what? Um well it's it's not shot near us at all. Upstate New York is many, many hours away from where we're from. Okay. But I think they play it as Essex County. I think Essex County, Massachusetts, although there, I think there might be an Essex County, New York, Kev. So I don't even, I don't even know, but I think I heard about this movie through you, Kev. Yeah. Um, I don't even, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if there's an Essex County, New York or what, but I took it as, you know, the snow, the old houses, it looks a lot like our Essex County. So I was okay. like, I'm going to claim it either way. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think um it was actually like an on, it was on demand um back when like comcast and on demand and like netflix wasn't so so prevalent i believe it was on demand and i watched it there and then it ended up on one of the streaming platforms for a little bit um mm-hmm. and so i caught it there i caught it those two places and it, i just was super into it when i saw it i was i went in like you um completely blind didn't really know what i was getting into and um, yeah, I was I was just kind of blown away by it because I, I was like, why why aren't people talking about this more? Um, why is it not referenced more in 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 like you know cool new movies or or podcasts or anything like that? It, it kind of went mostly under the radar, even from uh, friends and and you know whatever I have that are super into horror. A lot of people haven't seen it, so. Um, yeah, it's just kind of ha- by total happenstance ended up checking it out, and I've I've loved that. I loved it. I still yeah. do. It's I've seen it a handful of times now. It's good every time. Yeah, and it looks like there is an Essex County in upstate New York. So ah, I don't think yeah. Shortsville is in that county, but I suspect it is supposed to be upstate New York. Well, 
you know, we're both from Essex County, Massachusetts. So I think we were like, oh, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah. where we're from. Like but I said, either I'm... way, it looks just like it. I mean, if you yeah. <laughs> if if you had told me it was Essex County, Massachusetts, I'd be like, oh, that makes total sense. But but yeah, I heard about it from Kev. And I remember being I think he Kevin knows one of my favorite movies of all time is called The House of the Devil, which is directed by Ty, Ty West. West. It's like a, it's a movie that I love. I mean, maybe out of all out of proportion. It's just such it's to me it's a masterpiece. And and I it's agree. just like it's just masterclass intention, just like everything is super well acted, the score, the cinema, everything about it. And there's definitely some House of the Devil vibes to how this one feels. I mean, it's period piece, some of the long, slow zoom shots, you know, just like how how he's how he shoots some of it and and just the, the period aspect of it. So I think Kev saw this and was just like, dude, you gotta watch this. And of course I, I watched it and I, I and I loved it. And I think it was like, you know, when you've made a movie for not a lot of money and you see people who really nail making a movie for not a lot of money, it's kind of awe inspiring because yeah. dude, it is fucking hard to make. It is hard to make a good movie when you have a, a million, like a hundred million dollars. It's hard to make a good movie. It's like, so when you have like under a million dollars to make a good movie, it is, I mean, it is like so, so hard. So you know, when you see a movie like this or like the house of the devil, which I think was made for like 900 K it's like, it, it's just mind blowing. I just have I such doing, an appreciation. I was doing that. some research. I always love to look at the budget of movies and I could not find anything on this one. I did upon my research. I found a bunch of stuff. They found this, this house and it was being newly renovated. The people were cool enough where they're like, yeah, you can come in do whatever you want. Just, you know, clean all the shit up. And the, <laughs> the production design, the costume designer, they found all this stuff at, um, at like goodwills or whatever. And, they rented all the old cars from the local town folk. Um, you know, they brought in some old furniture and very thrifty, which you have to be. And, and when you have to go in, there's something to be said about movies like that, because if we, if we, I mean, if we're being honest here, probably the heyday of horror has got to be in the eighties and all of these good eighties horror movies that we all love from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which obviously was 74, but, you know, we're talking about Friday. All of these were just on shoestring budgets, and it just it just draws so much more creativity out of everybody involved. And it's like, you know what? We're putting our blood, sweat, and tears into it. You can definitely tell when it's when it's on film, and this is a prime example, especially from what you guys were, were talking about. So one of the things... Yeah, I mean... The creature design or the 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 evil the design of the evil spirits in this is like to me is like has become iconic. I mean, I reference it all the time because it's just so well done. I mean, like again, that they they probably had no money and they made all of the these evil spirits look unbelievable, like studio quality aesthetic to it, yeah. and then even added like a VFX component where when you're looking at a shot, like you know when you see hot top in the distance when it's and it's really hot, you can see that that heat wave. They even added that to these to the aesthetic of these, of these evil spirits. It's just like, you know, it's just really well done. I think they uh, it's, I mean, I'm kind of blown away by what they're able to achieve on probably almost no money. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty impressive. And it, you can't really tell either, which uh, to me is, uh, you know, impressive in itself. So I keep stepping away from the, the mic here. We'll break that fourth wall. I'm doing this thing where I like, I drink a gallon of water per day. So I've literally had to get up and piss twice. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> Kevin and Matt are like, yeah, so yeah. And I'm just off. We're like, we yeah, are yeah, still here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that what they did, 
th- that was one thing I want to touch on the creature or the, the Dagmars or whatever. It was, it was pretty awesome. I always like to have a little bit of, of trivia and anybody, are you guys Italian horror fans at all? Is, is that kind of in your niche or is that a blind spot? Yeah. Occasionally. It's a little bit of a, it's a blind spot for me to be honest with you. A lot okay. of it, uh, I just haven't watched a lot of that, like you know, Fulci or you know, yep. other giallo horror. But but some of it's interesting. So I'm recently getting into it. It's it's a blind spot for me as well. And I'm recently getting into it. And a couple things I noticed, and I was like, I'm not as that much of of you know, um, I guess it's not in my wheelhouse. So I had to do some research. But this Ted Gagan is is just a hundred percent on board inspired by Italian horror, Falci and Argento. So this one, what I did notice was, is all the characters were named uh, after Falci's house by the cemetery. Pretty much all of them. Uh, The next stab, I'm not going to say which character because I guess it wouldn't be that much of a uh, spoiler, but that was a nod to Argento's Tenebrae. Um, There there was... Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of Italian horror that was, um, Oh, what is it? The, the ball rolling down the scene or the, the ball rolling down the steps. Um, Oh, we were just talking about that in another movie. Um, we just got done doing our summer of the conjuring series. And we had talked about how that borrowed from Kevin. You gotta help me out here. I know, you know it. I know, dude. I know. I know literally. Is it the changelings? I think it might be because uh, it's the the guy lives alone in the house and his uh, kid's dead and he has the ball and he throws it off. Yeah, that's the changeling. The changeling, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's this, this whole movie was just like a big nod to a bunch of these other classics. And I thought that was, that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Shot in mid-February. You could totally tell. Um, Mm -hmm. That's what kind of got me in. And one of the main notes I had on here was I'm, I'm a sucker for anything being from Northern Minnesota, I live in central Iowa now, but I was born and raised up by the Canadian border mm-hmm. and winters are my favorite. And being down here, I mean, we have winters in central Iowa, but it's not like up there. So I'm like just captivated yeah. by the whole winter theme because I think it fits so well with a horror movie, because when you think about, you know, a winter and a blizzard, it's like you're cut off, um, you're isolated yeah. kind of stuff. That's now, why The Thing is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. What was it? In the Shining. No, I was just saying that's why, like the thing and the show, oh, some okay. of our favorite movies, because you're just like you're isolated. There's no, yep. you know, yep. yeah. And this has that same vibe, which it's also desolate. It's sad. I mean, these in this movie, this this just this Sachetti family, the the husband and wife played by Barbara Crampton and Andrew Sensenig, they're they lost their son recently, so they're like, you know, they're they're grieving that. So this just like the the snow and the desolate aesthetic is like is so perfect for that. Mm-hmm. yep that's what i wrote to the the opening shot that's where i made a note like on the cinematography i was like you get the cool shots you get the cold the blizzard i mean it puts you especially this time of year when we're starting to get to that it gets you in that whole like you know grab the blanket and kind of curl up and you're like all right i'm in and then yeah. it's just got the unique like starts out with the um i mean i i'm don't know what it's called but you get the blurry shot that zooms into the siding and it's mm-hmm. just different it's different enough where it draws you in to like, okay, you know, this is not your typical, uh, you know, movie opening kind of thing. You got that song in the background or that, that score in the background as well. Um, One of the things as well too, is I guess 
when you guys first watched this, Kevin, I know you saw this first. Did you, you said you went in cold. You had no idea is, is this type of genre, is this in your wheelhouse or, or I mean, are you a fan of like the ghost slash possession type or, um, you know, not generally, usually I'm more of a splatter zombie vampire horror slasher, you know, like, like traditional slasher, like that sort of stuff usually, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll give the kind of more art house style, um, indies and, and all that sort of stuff, um, a chance when, you know, whenever, uh, whenever I can. And so, you know, I wouldn't say it's super out of my wheelhouse, but it's definitely not my like daily driver kind of horror. Okay. And, and what about you, Matt? Yeah, this is definitely more in my wheelhouse. I think okay. Kevin and I are sort of like, I guess, I don't know, want to say opposite ends of the spectrum, but like I love movies like The Conjuring and Hereditary and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the films that my my partner and I <clears throat> are are trying to make are in that kind of a in that kind of vein. Okay. Um, but I, but you know, again, I have a broader love for horror too. But so I, I really definitely dug that about this film. So it yeah, has- that, I guess the reason I asked that is because this I, I'm kind of more with you, uh, uh, Kev, where I am. Mm-hmm zombies are my number one i love that that that's that's my genre and we have a special segment on the show um where we have a guy a a friend of ours a former podcast or former a current podcast host he watches pretty much every new horror movie release there is he averages like seven to eight hundred horror movies each year Oh my Damn. god! Which is like got to be pretty much all of them right like it blows some people's mind like i didn't even know there was that many anyways Segment's called a shot in the dark and his favorite genre is the, the ghost possession. And he always comes with those movies and we kind of give him shit. Like, you know what? But Mm -hmm. it surprises me because there's some that are really good. I've always said the ghost or possession movies done right are the ones that are the scariest in horror in general. Definitely. Something, you know, is, is, popular i guess and mainstream is is paranormal activity like for how simple that blair witch for how simple mm-hmm. those movies are like god damn if they don't scare the shit out of you so yeah, yeah. i was yeah. surprised when i realized what this movie was i was surprised how much i ended up uh liking it so mm-hmm. um, nice yeah yeah so i guess getting into the movie here i'll give a quick little plot summary in the cold wintry fields of new england a lonely old house wakes up every 30 years and demands a sacrifice so we have basically uh the the sachetes or whatever it's barbara crampton and, and larry fessenden's um characters they are grieving parents they lost their son in a car accident they move into this house and you do get that I guess setup, as I'll call it, where you're not really sure exactly where it's going. Um, as you know, especially for someone like me, I literally had no idea what was going on. But the ghost elements start to come. What really did surprise me, though, is 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 the 180 this turn at the end. I was not expecting it to be as graphic and gory as it was, and that was like I was just sitting there like, oh, you know, giddy. Uh, done really well too. Oh yeah. As far yeah, as there was, it, go ahead. 
No, there were just a lot of really interesting kills too. Like how it's like, they almost get like sucked into walls and through floors. Yeah. Like there's that one shot where a guy gets sucked through the stair, down through the stairs. Yeah. And then you cut to that basement shot where there's a little cut out of the concrete and the blood just shoots out of there. Like yes. it's almost like the stairs ate him and the house ate him and spit him out. Definitely I love that. Like really. Yeah. It's such a great moment. Yeah. Kind of comical. It was pretty cool. I, I did some research and they had to build like a separate stair system and they used dyed mashed potatoes to get him to like get sucked through and absorb into the floor. I was like, that's, wow. that's creative. Like, you know, you know, you're, you know, you're being thrifty when it comes to your effects. And that's George Romero, seventies type uh, right there. A hundred percent. A couple, um, it, it was good because couple of the tropes that I liked was if you watch a typical, even though they're not my favorite, I've seen enough of these horror ghosts or not horror, well, obviously horror, these ghost possession films where the trope is, 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 Ooh, you know, it's cold, like burr kind of thing. That means the ghosts are coming. It's the exact opposite in this one. Uh, they got that big old clunky um, furnace or whatever boiler in the basement, which I thought was funny too, because that was almost a character in itself compared to, you know, the summer of 84 uh, that you know the jump scares you got out of that big old clunky furnace in the basement of Mackey's I was like oh that's actually pretty cool watch these back to back um but yeah it was always hot like everyone goes in the basement and they're like oh it's so hot from you know the daughter and the son that arrived to the uh, electrician that's down there and it was like a cool little dichotomy of of you know the heat is what's yeah. gonna but yeah the yeah, it was definitely Dagmar, cool because you're right. The Dagmars, yeah, because they were they were killed by the town, the townspeople in a fire. So it's sort of like, uh, you know, it, the, because they're burnt, that's that's how you know that they're near. That was really cool. It kind of flipped it on its head versus yep. the cold version that usually. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And that basement, too, is so perfect. Like It was creepy. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've I definitely mean, been in some basements like that, and they are just as creepy. Yeah. 100%. By the way, how how great is Monty Markham, the older guy who plays Dave McCabe, the the neighbor down? Yep. That guy is that guy is such an icon, and yeah. like he's got this one quote that I uh, every time I watch it, I'm like, fuck, that's such a good. He's like, look at me, I've been I've been only been here for five minutes, and I'm already knee deep in devils. Yeah. And I'm like, that'd be a fucking great title for a horror movie, knee deep in devils. Deep in devils. I'm actually oh, getting yeah. that tattooed. I, I've had that on my list for a hot minute. The knee deep in devils is dude. It's so incredible. good. Yeah, it's yep. such a great line. It's just one of those lines that feels like, you know, like it's such a character building line because, you know, he's obviously like, I mean, he's still alive. I think he's like 87 or something. Yeah, he's born and, in 1935. Uh, mm. Yeah. And that feels like, you know, like a remnant of his, like a childhood saying that he would yep. have said back then that comes out. 100%. It's just such a great, it's just a great line. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's one of the, the, you, you watch the movie and you're like, God, I've seen this guy before. And, I mean, this movie was only done what six, seven years ago, and he was, you know, still eighty years old. And bravo, he was he he did pretty well. Very, he, he's a very oh. he, he, a character actor for sure. The, oh, what's what's me. really tough about him though? Oh, sorry, I was going to say what's really I, tough about him though is that he's so fucking good in every scene that he's in. He just chews up every scene that when you awesome. like juxtapose him with like the the bartender woman who is not just she's like not up to par with him yeah they're in the same scene together you're just like bro 
Monty Markham is just killing it. And this woman yeah. is not, she's not keeping up with him in terms of performance. And, and he's just that scene. He's just like, he's delivering you exposition. He's literally telling you things that he's telling the bartender things that she would already know. Like it's, but he's doing it in a way that you're like, like exposition is one of those naughty words as a writer where you're like, you know, you have to tell people information, but you have to do it in a way that doesn't feel like you're telling them information. Yeah. And in a script, a lot of those lines were probably scrutinized because, you know, you don't want to be like writing lines that someone would already know. You're, you're having them tell them something they'd already know. But Monty Markham is such a good actor that he delivers them. And you're just like, that is such a great, such great dialogue. He's just such a talented actor. I don't have a lot of cons with this movie, but, and, and I, I typically, I'm not going to count that as a con and I'm not going to, you know, it's not going to detract from my score, but yeah, that bar scene, you could tell for sure there was a big difference in the bartender, the barkeep. And then, you know, and, and that was yeah. a great scene too. I mean, goes and mm -hmm. opens the door and, you know, there was some dialogue back and forth and it was kind of, you know, like, okay. And then, yeah, he comes in and there was a big difference and it's like, you know, yeah. well, cool you, you know what it is though. What it is, is when you make a movie like that up in upstate New York, you can only fly in a couple actors who are sure. like proper L.A. whatever actors. Yep. It's Barbara Crampton, it's Larry Fessenden, and it's Monty Markham. And then and then also um, Andrew Sensenig, who played the, the Daniel Stern yeah. lookalike. But everybody else was for, for sure a local actor. And yeah, so, you know, you kind of get what you you get yeah. what you get. I mean, you're not necessarily going to get the yeah. best, the best, best actors. And, you know, sometimes it, sometimes you can feel it. Yeah. And it, right. like I said, it's not something that really took me out of the, out of the scene or out of the movie uh, as well too. Yeah. Um, I guess a couple other things too, that I really thought this movie did well was when you have these type of movies, you know, we talk about the typical stereotypes or the tropes when you have these ghost movies, it's typically located in the house. Um, and they're typically not gory. And this one really was like, you know what, here's a check marks for what you know puts this movie in a box how can we make this different mm -hmm. the scene with the boyfriend and the daughter coming up I, I should say scenes was was pretty legit there was a handful of them but the one that caught my eye was hey you know what the daughter's driving away and guess what she's out of the haunted house and she's fine and then all of a sudden you just get this awesome like uh, like a fist yeah. through the back seat and you're like oh my god like what's up with these ghosts outside of of the house and then same thing too like you get the gore factor with it was mm -hmm. not expecting that and i was like you know like doing the well done yeah. bravo yeah. that's what's that's a great moment yeah and i think probably why it's one of my favorite uh or definitely my favorite uh ghost horror film is it does have that gore factor that i usually like in horror uh more you know more of my taste horror um so, you know, the, the kills are, yeah, surprisingly awesome. Yep. The, the end of this movie just goes from like zero to a hundred uh, was, I mean, it, it started out as like kind of a typical, you know, set up for a haunted house or, you know, Oh, is it Bobby? You know, we're not really sure if it's Bobby and yeah. Um, highlighted by some really great moments uh, you know, one thing too, I thought was, was like, normally Barbara Crampton, they make her, you know, she looks young and she looks vibrant and beautiful. And that first, you know, introduction to her, you're like, holy moly, like, yeah, she's really, you know, she's not playing that, that type of role. Have you guys seen 
oh, the, just came out last year. Larry Fessenden, Barbara Crampton, the vampire Jacob's, movie. Jacob's Jacob, wife. Jacob's wife. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That, Jeff, that, you saw that, right? Yeah. Yeah. That one was pretty it. good. Maybe a year ago or something like that. Yeah. yeah yep. Larry Fessenden is amazing. He kind of reminds me of like, he, he just has like Jack Nicholson vibes to me. Like he's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. he's like horror Jack. He's like horror movie, Jack Nicholson to me. Yep. Like he's just got that kind of aesthetic. So he just looks like him to me. Just when you first run into him in the car, you're like, yeah, like he's just sitting there, like just rolling up his doobie and just doing his thing. You're like, yeah, I love I'm, I'm a big Larry Fessenden yeah. fan, so. I think it's the hair. Yeah, great. And he's kind of dressed like like Jack Nicholson in The Shining or like how he would have dressed back in that era too. I, I yep. think that's he I get those vibes too. Yeah. Yeah. Just they this movie is one of those that made me want to have a whiskey. And I'm sitting there and I'm like B and J. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was like, oh, nice little play on J and B. But yeah, they're like, you know what? Let's all sit down here next to the fire pit and we're gonna have a whiskey. Like how many times we're like, oh, you want a whiskey? You want to I'm like some like you know subliminal hey let's go get a whiskey oh yeah like how much did jmb pay <laughs> yeah throw this in but um, right. yeah sit in front of the fireplace and have a whiskey that's not too bad 70s you know, i was gonna say there was like no tvs or or anything in that room it's like this is a room we go to you know get fucked up and chat with our friends <laughs> like let's, let's do it the only bottle up there too is like no we don't do beer we just go straight you know neat let's go b and j neat so um I guess what else do you guys have on this movie here? Wrapping it up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, some highlights. I, I mean, anything else you wanted to chat about as far as we are still here 2015. No, I feel, I feel like we kind of touched on all the stuff that I, that I, that for me was like really uh, sort of memorable or iconic about this movie. Like the, the evil, the design of the evil spirits, like yep. that this, the, the tone to me, this is just such a great, like the first act of this movie does such a great job of set, of setting the tone yes. and just pulling you in and just like lulling you into that false sense of security. And then having these nice moments, like the baseball falling down the stairs or just like, there's that Tons also, there's a back. great shot. Hey, yeah, there's a great shot where you're focused on a, a small picture frame of their now deceased son. Mm-hmm. And then it quickly racks focus to a jump scare of one of those of one of the evil spirits one of the dagmars and it's a great jump scare moment and there's a oh. lot of stuff like that that just yeah that's one thing the use of shadows in this early on so you do have the setup which i don't want to say is slow because that gives it a bad connotation but i mean a setup is a setup for a reason you're getting kind of backstory and you know all of that but the use of the shadows and the lighting and all that because yeah you do get those where if you're not paying attention you're gonna miss it where you get the dagmars in the background like mm-hmm. when the electrician comes in in the basement like you know right away if you're not paying attention when he first walks down the steps you're like holy fuck like there's <laughs> something in the background there and that ain't bobby yeah kind of thing so yeah, yeah, yeah. that was you there's, know what uh, else is really Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kev. Oh, no, I was going to say there's the shot to the first time um, that uh, the first time that um, the uh, the mom goes down in the basement. Um, there's a there's someone in the background, too. And it looks it that one looks kind of like Bobby, but um, you can't really tell. And I I haven't gone back and, and double checked if it's if it's one of the Dagmars or if it's Bobby. But um really cool yeah like you were saying there's a lot of stuff going on in the backgrounds of that yeah, yeah. I, I never you know 
Go ahead. So I was going to say, you know, what's really interesting too about this movie is when you really think about it, a lot of it takes place during the day. Like a lot of stuff is it's like yeah, mostly daylight and it's mm-hmm. still super scary. Like it's, it's not yeah. like you really miss the fact that it's, you know, it's not nighttime, which is kind of mm-hmm. interesting because most, most horror movies obviously lean towards, towards uh, being dark. But I, I wonder, like, I wish we, I almost wish we had Ted Gagan on because so many times stuff like that happens in an indie movie like that because of production budget, like sure. shooting at night is really taxing on your crew or you have to like, if you can't shoot at night, but you can shoot during the day, you've got to like tent the house. Tenting means you make all the windows blacked out. So it's it's nighttime, you shoot it like, you shoot it during the day, like it's nighttime. And it's like, that takes a ton of time. I suspect that they were just like, fuck it. Let's just shoot it when we shoot it. And, you know, it'll be daytime sometimes. And sometimes it'll be night because we don't have the budget to like, you know, do a night shoot for, you know, 20 days or whatever. But it worked and it was very- Yeah, it works great. Because- like I again, I'm drawing that scene of it, it was a really good part of the movie too because you're 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 just getting to that point where you're transitioning from the first act to the second act, and it's when the boyfriend and the girlfriend arrive, and it's during the day, and there's the you know they're like, hey, the B and J whiskey is flowing, we're gonna get frisky, and it's you know during the day, but they had <laughs> yeah. some of the shades pulled, but it was still like that horror in the daylight, and it was freaky. And you put yourself in that situation in real life. It's like, you know, when we're kids, like, you know what, I'll go up and down the steps. I'll go in the basement. I'll go in all these other rooms. As soon as dark, you know, my kids are still, you know, young enough where, you know, like in the morning and stuff, my son will hear me making coffee. He's like, Hey dad, can you come turn my light on? I'm like, you're nine years old. You know, and it's well, probably it's because I'm always watching horror movies. And You're stuff. 22 years old. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. But um, no, we have a joke, too. It's kind of funny where like he's it's it's a long story. But if his phone charger comes unplugged, he's like, hey, dad, he's like, can you uh, uh, come plug my phone in? He's like, I don't want to disturb the guy under my bed. And it's like when he was a little kid, I was like, yeah, you better clean your room or the guy under the bed's going to come out and scare you. So now he's like still, I, I traumatized him. He's like, oh, the guy under my bed. But, no, uh, he's the guy, the guy in the attic. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, what is that? It's, it's Summers. officer Mac attack time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Under the bed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got, Kev? Um, just in regards to the movie last yeah last any, anything thoughts. i mean yeah we'll, um, we'll hop into like final thoughts and ratings here unless you yeah. guys got something else so i just um i think one last thing i'd call out about it um before we wrap up about it is uh I, just the um the costume design and the set design in this movie like it's they did a so such a good job of uh, you know kind of immersing you in this in that kind of like 70s aesthetic Yep. For like you were saying, probably not a whole lot of money. They cr- crushed that, and then just the the way that they handled the Dagmar's makeup. Um, I was talking to Matt the other day about this before we like leading up to this. So he almost looks like uh, they almost look like uh, Donald Logue in Blade One when he's all burned mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, like runs off and he's missing an arm. Uh, it almost reminds me of that, but like in the best way possible. That I love Blade as well, but. Um, yeah, I, I just, they're so freaky looking and I've like, that would be a, a really rad one. Actually, uh, I don't know. It'd take a lot to pull it off. That would be a hell of a Halloween costume. Some pull that off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is yeah, impressive how easy. much of that was was practical. Um, yeah. There really wasn't a lot of, of digital or, or post uh, effects done. I think hmm. I was doing some research, like the smoke in the bar was like one of the only things they had to put in digitally, which obvious reasons you can't have 
there's yeah. no smoking in bars anymore. So yeah. Yeah. But uh, final thoughts and ratings here, I guess I'll go first and give you guys a floor to finish it mm-hmm. off. I was very surprised that when I first, well, I was surprised that I hadn't seen this because I was like, Oh yeah, I saw this. I don't remember it. And then I'm like, wait a second. Nope. Then I was like, yo, that's right. Daniel isn't real. I was like, God, why, why am I thinking this looks familiar? But I was a little bit uh, excited at first because I was like, I haven't seen it. And then I was like, Oh, it's a ghost movie. So I'm like, nah, I'm going to temper my expectations a little bit, but then ramping up, I was like horror in the daylight. We talk about that on the show quite a bit, like movies that do that. Well, it really amps it up. Uh, I love Barbara Crampton, Larry Fessenden, that was yeah larry fessenden's a fucking treat and and this movie had like some <laughs> like that little scene i got to give a shout out to the the seance scene uh yeah. with him and i mean there was some comedy in this too you know they're like don't do a seance and they leave and he's like fucking lighting candles like we're yeah. gonna do this and, <laughs> and he's like that ain't bobby and there was some pretty yeah. good stuff going on there the third act of this movie was a 10 out of 10. It yeah. it was just so bonkers and off the wall. It was paired well with the, the freaky, scary part, but just the, the Italian, I a hundred percent when I found that, that the director was a fan and inspired by Fulci and Argento, I was like, yeah, I can see it. Just the blood spurt coming out. I was like, Oh my God. I yeah. Love the it. knife in the neck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So all in all, this movie was, was, a treat i i really did enjoy it i'm coming in with an eight out of ten nice that's a fair that's a very fair score yep um i can take it you want to edit matt um yeah, sure. i mean i agree i think uh thinking back to the first time i watched it um you know the like you were saying i don't want to i don't want to say it feels it felt slow in the beginning because it's it's realistically not a ton of setup um like I was saying, there's there's really not a ton of fat on this on this movie. And it's just kind of when it finally does the when the third act starts, it really does go so balls to the wall that you forget. And it's, you know, what it's in the 80 minute range. It was 82 minutes or something, 84 minutes. So it really does fly by. Um, and yeah, I think that the third act alone and just, you know, how it looks and everything. Um, do you, you want to do it out of 10? We're going out of 10 for all of them. You can do however you want. Okay. Out of five, out say, of ten, out of a hundred. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, I'd I'd put it in the uh, eight point nine, nine point one range out of ten. I love it. It's like it's like damn the, uh, Dave Dave Portnoy pizza review. I'm gonna go nine point one. I'll <laughs> take the higher ones. Everybody knows them. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I I um I definitely love it too, um, and I'm glad that Kevin put it on my radar all those years ago because it's it's definitely one of those movies where you could just watch it over and over, especially again, we're being from, from Massachusetts where we're from. It definitely gives those vibes of like home. It's kind of cool to see, to see that in a horror film. And honestly, Barbara Crampton has a great, amazing performance. Larry Pheasant is an amazing performance. Uh, Monty Markham is just like, you know, I can't, can't stop watching that guy. Everything about the film is really well done. I think Ted Gagan basically just, he, he I think it was his freshman directing effort. I think he killed it. I, I really loved it. I would definitely give it an eight. Uh, eight out of 10. And I think uh, I, and my favorite part, honestly, is act one, because I love just the build of like, what's going on. Like, Mm -hmm. I love getting drawn in the way he sets the tone, the way he has these like really long zoom shots and just establishing shots of different scenes. I just, that's the kind of stuff that I really love as a filmmaker. Yeah, man. He just, I just think he did. 
I, I think if we knew how little he had to make this movie, it would be even more mind blowing because I suspect it was like not a lot. So yeah, I'm a big fan. Nice. I got to ask, have you guys ever heard of or seen, I am not a serial killer. Yeah. yeah. That I was going to say, you guys talk about these movies filmed in your hometown. That was filmed in my hometown, tiny oh, little wow. Virginia, Minnesota. Yep. Wow. Quite an ending on that movie. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, part of me is like, I'm going to love it because it literally was shot in my like hometown up by the Canadian border. But then, yeah, we did wow. cover it on the show, but yeah, I, I, yeah, that one was a good example too, of something that completely flipped the script uh, as far as. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, was it was like different. Je- yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer vibes turns into like men in black or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's that? actually a pretty good, pretty good. Uh, uh, thanks. It's pretty so, good. I like. Again, I want to thank you guys a lot for coming on, but the gauntlet is coming. The gauntlet is a series of questions, one word answers at the top of your your head. No thinking. We're gonna come at you. Are you guys ready for the gauntlet? Hope so. Yes. <laughs> Pizza or burgers? Pizza. Beer. Pizza. Beer or liquor? Beer. Liquor. Ooh, 50-50. Hockey, football, baseball, or basketball? Football. Basketball. Ass or titties? Ass. Ass. Stand or sit when you wipe? (laughs) Sit. (laughs) Sit. Homebody or out with friends? Home. Uh, Used to be out with friends, very recently homebody. Fishing or hunting? Fishing. Neither. Cannibal Holocaust or a Serbian film? <laughs> or what? A Serbian film. Those are yeah, those are fucking serious ones. Cannibal Holocaust. I don't I don't even know what a Ser- I, I'll just pass on both. Serbian film's a gnarly one. You're not missing you're not missing much. <laughs> yeah. Rather go blind or rather go deaf. Ooh. Ah shit. Deaf. Yeah fuck man that's a terrible one someone said to me once that it, this is not this is blowing the <laughs> never mind i'm gonna go no, on a no. tangent no tell I'll it tell I'll it deaf. okay tell no, it. someone so, someone basically i think it was somebody who i think it might have even been like helen keller or something but the idea was that like when when you're when you go blind you can still have conversations with with people but when you go deaf you lose your connection to man through language and oh, wow. that, that that was actually worse. So I don't know. I, I think I'd probably uh, candidly, I think it's just suicide. No, <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know if I'll, I don't think, I don't think I'm equipped for the world with either one of those. Movies. <clears throat> They're making a lot of strides in, uh, in hearing aids. So that's what I'm hoping. That's okay. Like, fix it. <laughs> Top. Cause dude, did you, did you guys, did you guys see, did you guys see that movie? Um, the sound of metal? No. Sound of metal. It sounds familiar. Dude, it's about a, it's about a heavy it. metal drummer who goes deaf, uh, and it's dude, it's just devastating. I when I was watching it, I I had to keep I watched it with headphones on. I had to keep taking my headphones off to to because it because they give you the effect of going deaf while you're watching it. Oh. I had to keep taking my headphones off to be like, like, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> it was yeah, it was just it's a lot. You guys should it's a great movie. Sound of Metal, I'll put it on my list for sure. Definitely. Top half of Hulk Hogan and bottom half of Margot Robbie or bottom half of Hulk Hogan and top half of Margot Robbie. <laughs> uh, 
I'd say top half Margot Robbie. Matt? I made maybe bot. I think bottom half Margot Robbie. Okay. I don't know. This is okay. It's a terrible game. <laughs> well, it gets worse. <laughs> penis sized nipples or nipple sized penis? <laughs> penis sized nipples. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Rock I'll or country? Shits off. Rock. Rock. Cats or dogs? Cats. Dogs. Doggy or missionary? Ne- ne- neither. Neither. I don't want either one. <laughs> what was the next one? Doggy or missionary? Doggy. Doggy. Freddie, Jason, Michael, or Leatherface? Freddie, Jason, Michael, or Leather... Freddie. I think I think I got to go Leatherface. The original Texas Chainsaw is the scariest, one of the scariest movies. Slasher, zombie, supernatural, or creature feature? Supernatural. Slasher. Chucky or Leprechaun? <laughs> Chucky. Chucky, yeah. John Carpenter or Wes Craven? John Carpenter. Carpenter. Ari Aster or Jordan Peele? Ari Aster. Jordan Peele. 90s horror or 2000s horror? Oh, shit. Not great <laughs> eras. For- <laughs> yeah. I'll go I, 90s because I scream in all those movies. Yeah. I gotta go 90s. 2000s had some gems too, but I think Blade just makes the cutoff for 90s too, so I gotta go 90s. Yeah, but- okay. Hills Have Eyes, the original or the remake? The remake. Remake. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Slow burns or to the point? Slow burn. Uh, more of it to the point. Okay. First horror movie you ever saw in full? Oh, man. Jaws. I th- the one that I remember is American Werewolf in London, but I don't know if that's accurate. Okay. Last I saw Pee Wee's Big Adventure before that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, the big birth of the Which truck. I love. Still terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Last one, boys. Favorite horror movie of all time? Oh, boy. Shit. Um, Jesus. If we count, shit. I'm gonna have to go with The Shining, but I I don't even like calling it horror because I think it's so much more than that. Yeah. But I I've seen that movie a million times, and I I'll see it a million more. I was gonna it. say, yeah, I was gonna say Shining or um, Silence of the Lambs, but I feel like they're more thrillers than horror. So if I'm going pure horror, it's The Thing. Nice. Yeah, that's a good one. I almost said The Exorcist too. That would be right there. Can't go wrong. I like to think that a um, little side tangent before we finish the gauntlet, our episode, our big episode 50, we did a super duper deep dive into the shining, like a four or five mm-hmm. hour episode broken down in everything from th- that. That's my favorite movie to talk about with all the yeah. conspiracy theories and everything. So again, I'll pimp that yeah. out to all of our mm-hmm. listeners that haven't heard it yet to you guys check that out. Episode 50, the shining, but you guys have, have made it through the gauntlet and you've made it out unscathed. You guys are, pristine I don't, know, I don't know about that our mom's <laughs> gonna listen to this and i think that's probably <laughs> oh well oh gosh all right um i'll send her <laughs> edited version i'm sorry mrs leslie um but you're not gonna you'll be picking up right now and you will not have heard the your boys run the gauntlet but no, in all seriousness thank you guys very much for joining us um again very honored to finally uh meet you or, or not really meet i don't know i mean yeah blood witchery kevin thanks for popping on oh, yeah. uh, again matt double wristers all it's night pleasure. Everybody. i really appreciate you coming on i'm dead serious i'm not thanks just saying this because i was telling kevin this as well too summer 84 is is 
is top notch for me. I mean, that, that movie, I rated that a nine and a half back in 2018. And and that I've only got a couple that I've ever given a 10 and that's pushing it. So I'm not just saying that I really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, how can, I mean, if our listeners want to follow you guys, I know, uh, Kev, you've got your own kind of little store. You, you, I mean, pimp your wares, man, tell them to go and buy some of your stuff. Um, so I've got a, uh, clothing store and skate shop in uh, Beverly mass called nowhere fast. Um, if you want to follow us on social, it's nowhere fast shop. And yeah, we do a lot of horror based, you know, merch and all that sort of stuff. We got some cool shit. We do October releases real hard every year. We got some good stuff coming. Uh, any fans of black metal, we got some, we got a rad one coming out this year. Oh, that you're talking to the crowd. Silence of the lambs, uh, is the other, um, piece as well. So we've got, uh, some good ones this year. That would be the main one. And then, uh, yeah, Matt, it's all you now. Uh, can yeah, they, just, can they um, go and find Matthew it online? So, sorry, Matt. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. Kev, um, it's all online. They can <laughs> no, buy and no. order your stuff. Yep. Uh, Nowhere-fast.com would be the website. we got a web store with all this stuff on there. Nice. Um, you can find it linked off of the Instagram. Awesome. All mm-hmm. right, Matt, what about you, buddy? I'm just at Matthew G. Leslie on Twitter and Instagram, but uh, I, I pretty much only use Twitter at this point. So okay, find me on there. Any upcoming projects, anything you want to share? I mean, I know you talked a little bit about your new movie, The Knocking. Yeah, we, yeah, we have a movie called The Knocking coming out. Uh, I'm not sure when it's coming out. We're, we're finishing post-production on it now. Um, that's a, that's a cool supernatural horror movie. That's, uh, I know that's your favorite. So you guys, (laughs) (laughs) no, but it's, it's, I think, I think you guys would dig it. And, um, and then we're supposed to be directing another feature early in the new year. That's also supernatural horror. Um, but yeah, but just try try to make movies. Awesome. Well, Hey, thanks again, boys. Definitely got to get you guys back on at some point here. I'm happy to always pimp your pimp your stuff, Matt and Kev. Uh, I think we've got some good conversations. Oh yeah, future here with some movies. So uh, thanks again for joining us. And as always, I hope it was as good for you as it was for us. Boom. Cheese.